All right, everybody, welcome to the 286th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling live and direct. It is, we're just going to, it is National Panda Day, and it is my time to shine. So welcome to the best holiday of the year, Giant Panda Day. What is up, man? You ready to talk about these Baylor Bears, the second best type of bears? So you would rank Baylor Bears uh, behind Panda Bears? Is that what I'm No, hearing? Panda's because... number one, Baylor's yeah, number two. That's why I said you would rank the Baylor yeah, Bears yeah. behind Panda Bears. I guess. I can't think of another. I mean, there's Black Bears, Brown Bears, Grizzly Bears, Polar Bears, my favorite, uh, Koala Bears, which are adorable. I mean, bears just in general are fantastic. All S-tier animals. S-tier. Absolutely S-tier animal. Uh, when Quick, quick sidebar. When Olga and I went to Canada in 2017, um, it's just wild because like bears just don't give a shit. And I love that about them. They're just like crossing highways and like everyone has like the utmost like respect for them. Like you, you pause your car and if you see like uh, a traffic jam, it, the bears are just crossing the road or they're just like <laughs> cuddling and rolling around on the side. It's it's like, it's, it's really cool. Like it's one thing that I... Obviously, I loved my trip to Canada, but one thing I love is they have these like animal crossings because obviously there's a lot of wild uh, in in Canada. So like imagine like you're going down an interstate, but there's these like nature bridges that just they, they built a bridge, but they've like actually taken the natural resources and put them on top. So it just looks like an extension. So it allows the the animals to cross safely and freely. And like I'll, I'll say one thing, like didn't see one roadkill in, in our uh, week long trip, two week trip to Canada. Like they, they do a really good job of protecting uh, their wildlife. So that was a quick sidebar. But when you get me talking about bears, like I, I can, we can go on for this. <laughs> oh, I don't think people are uh, ready for the bear talk where we just totally forget to talk about the trailblazers for an hour and a half. <laughs> but yes, it is. The national holiday, Panda Day, uh, March 16th, uh, eight days before my birthday. I think if I did the math right. So uh, it was destined to be the Panda King of the Northwest. And yes, you are right. We are going to be talking about two Baylor Bear prospects. Uh, let's kind of break this since it is a little bit different format. Traditionally, we zone in on, on one prospect and can spend the entirety of an episode on one. Uh, let's kind of break it down uh, half and half just so it's easier for me to stay on track. I think it's easier for the listener to kind of uh, break it down. Uh, let's start first with, with Kendall Brown. So Kendall Brown is a small forward um, from Baylor University, uh, 6'8", 205 pounds, 18 years old. He will be 19 by the time of the draft. He was born in May. He's from Cottage Grove, Minnesota. He was a five-star recruit by rivals and the number 12 player overall nationally. So and a really big blue chip prospect that Baylor brought in in their recruiting class. Um, no accolades as of this recording. Uh, the Big 12 released all of their awards, and uh, he did not make any all-conference teams or earn any individual awards. He was the preseason Big 12 freshman of the year, but that went to another player. Um, Baylor is currently a number one seed in the upcoming NCAA tournament, which kicks off on Thursday. 
their regular season record. They were 26 and six and ranked number four in both the AP and the coaches pool. I believe they won the regular season uh, big 12 title. Um, his season stats, 10 points on 70% shooting from the free throw line, 59.5% shooting from the field, 38.9% shooting from three, 4.9 rebounds, uh, 0.4 blocks, 1.9 assists, one steal, did that in 27.2 minutes per game on a player efficiency rating of 18.9. Sage, this is a prospect that um, came in with a lot of hype. And when I was doing a lot of research on Kendall Brown, something that really stood out to me was how hyped he really was, especially towards the new year. I think a lot of people had him in their top five, top seven in this draft. And uh, he was putting up ridiculous numbers over the course of the first two months of the season. And uh, when I was watching you know, tape of him, there was a screen that popped up because this is when it was recorded. It was recorded right before the new year. So his stats at the end of the, the this calendar year, he was at 13 points, uh, almost four boards, and his three-point percentage was at 50%. His field goal percentage was at 71%. So the thing that jumped out at me was his production significantly decreased as conference play kicked in high gear in, in the Big 12. And just even um, watching him play against Oregon, uh, that's a game that I definitely had my eye on. I've watched that game live. He really took over that game late with his ability to play in the passing lanes, his ability to finish at the rim, uh, to run the break, and just to kind of overall be a, a pest and a menace. But then you watch him um, as the, the Baylor Bears go into a Big 12 play, and he's just not as involved. Uh, or that's, that's just my biggest takeaway is like, he, he just kind of almost like he disappears. Like he doesn't pop on, on tape. And, and I don't know if that's because his, his skill sets a little inconsistent. If Baylor is just going more guard heavy with the Kinjo at the point guard or that the defense is the scouting report kind of came out on him. You know, we've seen this with players in the NBA, you have a really great month. And then all of a sudden the scouting report comes out and it's like, okay, how can you, uh, counter and maybe he just hasn't countered yet so i i watched the oregon game yesterday just to uh remind myself about how he played and it was kind of a oregon and teams in the early season closed out on him as a shooter because he was shooting 50 percent from three but if you look at the attempts taken he didn't he never shot so the, if the percentage is high and you don't shoot, it's never going to be negatively affected if you don't actually shoot the ball. So when Oregon or another team not in conference went out at him, they were like 50% shooter, we got to close. And then he would just attack the closeout and use his God-given athleticism to score. But as the uh, the conference play happened, they were like, if Kendall shoots, it's most likely missing. We don't need to close out extremely hard on a non-shooter. So then it made, when he attacked that closeout, the team was ready for it, and then he just got walled up. I, I, I feel like the counter moves that he has to attack the closeout, if they're not just like running by him to try and stop the, the shot, his, his dribble moves are kind of robotic and not particularly good. So he gets walled up, and then has, they have to pass it out. 
Um, but when you think of Kendall Brown, it, the, the, it was like an a- athletic four that can pass the ball and is really met at shooting and uh, on ball defense. But the, I think the biggest compliment that I can give him is that he is a really good passer for being a six, eight forward. Like there was a game early on the season. And I forgot which one it was. And I apologize for that, but he would drive to the lane and just do a dump off pass over and over and over again. So that makes me know that, that the passing, the vision it, it's real. It's just everything else is such a question mark with Kendall Brown. Like he never shoots. The volume's awful. His footwork when he's attacking is really, really bad. And if you ever catch Kendall Brown shooting and it's a miss, if you catch his feet, it's splayed out like it's a like you're about to crash while you're skiing. There's a lot of things that just are upsetting about his game, but he's one of the most talented players on the court whenever he's there. It's just he never shows off that talent. I, I mean, like the passing and cutting is just really tremendous for a, a guy that ha- that has the af- the athletic gifts that he has uh, offensively. What did you think about his offensive game? I mean, I think the volume of the three point attempts is the the big key for me. Like shooting one for two every game from downtown is significantly different than going five for ten. Like it's the Myers. Go, remember when Myers Leonard had a fifty percent three point percentage because he only took two a game. Yeah, it, it's that. And then when we were discussing CJ McCollum and when he was going through his hot streaks, you were saying he's doing this forty percent on volume three point mm-hmm. shooting. Like doing something efficiently at a high volume is something that every every person should strive for in whatever you know they they do, whatever industry they are um, partaking in. But I, I would say like. The the pros are the jump shot doesn't look broken. It, it's not a bad form. However, when I'm watching a lot of these prospects, a lot of these prospects are only standstill shooters at this point. Any sort of dribble, any sort of movement, and it, it's not going to, to work out. And for him, I think he needs a quicker release. I think it's a little bit slow. He's almost a little uncertain. And it, there's it's a really shot hesitancy hard. that's... There's a major shot Mm -hmm. hesitancy. And I think honestly, like the jump shot is going to be his major question mark that will determine whether he gets a second contract in, in the NBA. And so if you're looking at this player in the lottery, that's, that's a lot to risk for, um, I think a player who's not tremendously elite at other aspects of the game. Like, I think he's incredibly raw. Like there are some brilliant moments where you're like, okay, I can see this popping through. But when I look at players who are right now one-way players, and I think Kendall Brown is a one-way player on the defensive end of the floor. I'm okay. I have some opinions on that. So yeah, but I think that's if you're he's not a zero-way player. Like I think he's right now he's just primarily a defender at at, at Baylor. And so when I when I look at prospects who are just one-way guys, I'm okay if they're a one-way player, but they're elite at that. And maybe they're an upperclassman because maybe they have some leadership skills that will translate and you can kind of see that they've been through the ringer. And I think that's where you see players like Jay Crowder and Draymond Green. And you're like, okay, like that's why they fell to the second round. They're older, but they have a specialty and they were able to develop in the league under good systems. 
I don't generally like drafting young players who are one-way players at the moment. Like I need to see how they develop, especially if you're taking them in, in the lottery. It, it just seems like there's, there's too much, like you need to stay in school and refine your craft. I understand why he's probably going to jump pro because if he struggles next year, he's not a lottery pick. He may even fall out of the first round. Like, so you need to kind of go while you're the strike while the iron is hot. Um, I just think he's incredibly raw offensively, like offensively, like most of his points come from the open court. He's a heavy reliance on creation from others. Like he's a fantastic lob threat. He finds that open space very well. Um, I think he moves well without the ball. I think he'll be uh, a little bit more effective if he plays with um, other playmakers and that they can look for him and really, um, up his overall performance. Like they, they get the most out of him, right? Like, like you've seen when you play with cutters and you always have to keep the defense honest. Like he, you don't want to put him in a system where he is a three and D like he's just standing. Yeah, Putting him at the corner makes him. He only move around on the court. You need to let him have freedom of movement, find that dunker spot. And like you said, he is a willing passer. Can he make decisions in the, um, in the middle of the floor? Like that, that's key. Like a lot of teams need that where you're not scared of, oh God, I got the ball. What do I do with it? Like, can he be a true triple threat when he gets the ball in movement and in a little bit of space? I think that will really enhance his value at the next level. And then I think his jump shot, if he's just even a league average open open floor shooter, that's where you're going to start to see the the value in, in a Kendall Brown. But, um, but you, you got to get him to shoot before you think of him as a league average shooter like the hesitancy to shoot is one of the biggest like confusing factors to him i mean i've said it a bunch as we talk about prospects and kendall brown's name comes up i think he every every prospect is team dependent right there's not many lebron jameses who will be great in any system in any team but i think that he is the most team dependent player because it like you said, if you put him in the corner and tell him not to move, he's just going to struggle and it's not going to go his way. Um, it, ha- it has to be a freedom of movement scheme. Like if you're investing a first round pick in a player, like I think he'd be great in Toronto. I think he'd be great in Brooklyn. Like the, the teams with coaches that are creative that can get – players moving and like i i think once if he becomes a a a player on a team that has like steph curry or something his cutting ability is going to be great like i remember when we got uh derrick jones jr and i said that cutting creates spacing well it doesn't when everybody stands still but if it's a freedom of movement team you see the skill set of athletic freak that can catch lobs and is a a, a good cutter like offensively it is he's pigeonholed into a a skill set that's like attacks the the he's not in the box he attacks like the perimeter of the box in terms of his skill set so it's it, it's tough to try and put him on a normal team. And I think also at the moment, given his small frame, 205 pounds, I think what scares me about him as a prospect is he's a tweener, but he lacks positional versatility. 
I think he's not a good enough shooter to play the shooting guard. And I don't think he's strong enough to handle modern day NBA power forwards. I think right now he can only play the small forward until he bulks up. And so you're picking a tweener who doesn't have a lot of versatility on the floor. Just there's, there's too many question marks for me to feel comfortable taking a player like that in the top 10, top 15. Now, if if you were to slip, you can maybe take a flyer on him. I I think the situation is similar to Nasir Little, right? He comes out of North Carolina, McDonald's All-American, five-star recruit, just, just doesn't show a lot, but you can tell the potentials there. At 25, that was a value pick for Portland, and you are okay putting him on your bench and just letting him develop for two, three years until you see the it start to come to life. Now, if he doesn't pan out, you know, the 25th pick traditionally doesn't really, you know, there, there's not a high success rate there. So you can take a bit of a gamble there. The higher you up are in the draft, there is more of an onus on hitting it out of the park and really getting a, at least a solid player. It's really tough to take a risk on a player with so many question marks uh, that high. And, and for that reason, um, I would probably steer clear of, of Kendall Brown. So do you think it's like a, uh, like we're not in Kendall Brown's head. What do you think is the main catalyst for him not showing he, that he is the most talented player on the court, basically in any college game that he's in, he, he takes that back seat. Do you have any idea of why he isn't as aggressive as, you know, the most talented player normally would be on a team. He kind of has that Ben Simmons in him where Ben probably could be the best player in the NBA, but he chooses to not. Do you think it's like a wiring issue or what kind of issue do you think it is for uh, Kendall Brown not uh, performing at, you know, an A level on most games? Um, I I don't know if I would necessarily qualify as an issue per se more than the school he decided to attend. Right. He, he goes to Baylor. They're the defending national champions. They are a one seed. Um, things are working for that collegiate program. So if he wants to continue getting his minutes, like it's almost like just don't rock the boat. Like they've got senior leaders. Uh, they've got good bigs that can defend. Uh, one of their bigs, I believe, was defensive player of the year in the Big 12. Uh, they have a Kinjo who, who I mentioned, um, who is their lead guard. Like in college, even less talented players are the leaders and they take over games. Like that's just how that game is. And he's bought into the Baylor system. Now, would you like to see him more engaged defensively? Absolutely. But I think in terms of him taking more of a volume on the offense, I don't know if that's really in the best interest of Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears. So I think it's just a case of he went to play for a new blue blood program and they are their goal is to win a national championship. I don't think they win a national championship if Kendall Brown is taking uh, more share uh, of the offense. So I, maybe if he goes and played at an LSU or University of Oregon or a team that's kind of on the cusp of uh, an NCAA tournament team, then he may get a chance to, to shine. I mean, Ben Simmons kind of did that at LSU where he was a, a really a good collegiate player, but his team was terrible. So I think that's just why it's really hard to evaluate collegiate prospects. You, the, the situations, the scheme, the strategies, it's it's night and day from the NBA. So when you're looking at a player who's not really producing, you really have to uh, be sold on, on what they can become. Uh, I'm not sold on, on what he can become. Uh, I think it's just too risky for where he's probably projected to go. Like I said, if he falls, 
sure, snag them up. Anytime you can get a, a McDonald's All-American, um, you go ahead and, and do it later in the draft. But to take them in the top 10, top 15, I, I think that's uh, – I'm not ready to risk that for that biscuit. So let, let's talk about his defense. Um, you know, with the Baylor system, it's really, really aggressive. And in early season – especially in like the Oregon game that I watched, he was reading passing lanes and sparking like fast breaks. But I think that there is a uh, risk and reward for having such a high aggressive system because once it got to big 12 play teams were just back cutting him because he was so aggressive. And like, I, I feel like when you are a great team defender, your head's always on a swivel so you don't get back cut. Like when you watch Robert Covington last year when he was motivated, he was always having his head on that swivel to make sure that when he's digging in on help, he's not getting back cut. But with Kendall, he, I, I feel like his vision is so straight in front of him is where he sees and he doesn't have the peripheral like zonal vision to like, oh, I got to check if I'm getting back cut. And yeah, he got I, back cut a lot this year. I think the off-ball defense needs work. I think on-ball is where you can be more comfortable with him given his his tools, his natural uh, size and length and wingspan. Off-ball. And aggressiveness. I don't even know if it's over-aggressive. I saw some tape where he was just flat-out lazy. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very weird, like, it's either ultra, ultra-aggressive or Benedict Mather in passive early season. And that's why, like, I'll give if if like Matherin or Jaden Ivey or whoever has a lapse on defense, even Ben Caro, it's like, okay, they're shouldering the load offensively. I, I can understand that. You see that at the next level. When you're a player that is not used very highly on offense and you're known for your defense, you should be locked in all the damn time. And that's what really worries me about Kendall Brown. It's like, okay, you can't be like locked in for 20, 25 minutes when you're not taking a lot of usage offensively. Like that to me is more concerning than him not producing on the offensive end of the floor. Like if he was like really showing like all big 12 defense, I think you feel much more confident and like, okay, we can get him to shoot a little bit more. We, we can do this, but the, the lack of just oomph on defense really worries me for a player who his calling cards should be his defense and his athleticism as he's become a bigger part of the scouting report, like you've learned if he's in that area, you probably shouldn't pass it to him so he can get into that passing lane. Like once he's on that scouting report, it's he he's kind of easy to bring out or, or like to avoid his skill set. He's very toolsy. He could be a great defender. He just hasn't. I mean, my comps for him is really strange. Do What's your floor? Bruce Brown on the Nets. Okay. Because think about who the Brooklyn Nets have on their team. They have KD, Kyrie sometimes. If Joe Harris is healthy, they have a lot of offensively skilled players. That made it so Bruce Brown's lack of shooting, like he could be on the floor to contribute in other things. 
And that makes me think, like, if Kendall Brown was a Blazer, does Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard, are they offensively skilled enough to make it so Kendall Brown, with his lack of shooting or lack of trying to shoot and, you know, the, the, the him working on the margins of the league, it, could that work? And I don't, I don't think it could because, I mean, like, the, the, the two people that I thought of for Kendall Brown – and they're not the same size, was Gary Payton II and Bruce Brown in terms of fit. And one team has KD and the other has Steph Curry. And the reason that those two can play minutes for those teams is because of the gifted offensive brilliance of the other team and allowing a guy that isn't a seven-foot big to be in the dunker spot. So Bruce Brown or Gary Payton Jr., but they have to like it, they have to be on the right system because you know what Bruce Brown did in Detroit. It wasn't much. You know what Gary Payton did when he wasn't on Golden State. It's not much. You need to have that team surrounding him. So uh, what is your floor for Kendall Brown? I went in a different direction in terms of floor. I went for a lottery pick who doesn't get a second contract. And it's kind of hard to find small forwards that don't get second contracts in the, in the recent past decade or so. So I, Mario Hozonia in terms of a player who came and hyped um, showed flashes, but never could put it together. He had athleticism to coming into Orlando kind of bulked up and slowed down, had moments, had lapses, not in the league anymore. That's where I think his floor is. Like he gets picked in the lottery and then you don't see him in three, like after three years, he he's done. Like, I think his floor is very, I don't think he has a high floor at all. And and that's another thing that kind of scares me. Okay. Uh, remember this question. What's his most likely outcome? But I, I think his like 75th percentile is Aaron Gordon, the athleticness. I, I, I don't know if Kendall Brown at his peak is as athletic as Orlando Aaron Gordon, but the skill set is kind of the same. Like they have decent passing. They have good athleticism. They're both pretty scared of shooting when there's better players on the floor. Does a 90% athletic uh, gifted Aaron Gordon get you ready for, you know, giving him that $15 million contract that he's been asking for two inches shorter too. I mean, and, and he doesn't have the the difference too. He doesn't have that, like the Supreme athleticism that prime Aaron Gordon had. He just doesn't have it. He's really athletic, but Gordon at his peak of like health and, you know, new legs was a freak. I don't think Kendall would be a freak. He's really athletic. I think you're higher on Kendall Brown than I am, which is uh, surprising. Um, my my, I, I think that as soon as I saw him play, I think he's Derek Jones Jr. Really well moving uh, without the ball, a, a lob threat. You're going to want to play him in the open floor. You don't want him shooting. I mean, it, you just do not want him to shoot the basketball. Very, very limited offensive player, um, kind of on the, the thinner side uh, of the smaller forward. So again, might be able to guard twos or threes, but you don't want him playing in the front court in terms of the four or the five. Um, I, I just might, might get a second contract, but um, I think maybe the mid-level is where he uh, maxes out at in terms of the most likely outcome. I mean, 
Like, if he hits the 99, he's Iguodala just because of the passing chops. But, man, I I don't really... In 2K, there's, like, the boom percentage, the bust percentage, and the normalized, like, the normal percentage. I think that his most likely outcome is the lowest end of uh, outcomes for Kendall Brown. Like, yeah. if I would probably put 60% that he's Bruce. And then like 20, 25, like it, 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 the most likely outcome is that he's on Bruce Brown in the most optimized lineup or team construction ever. Yeah, I think my 99th was was Gerald Wallace, um, Charlotte Bobcats, Gerald Wallace, where he probably makes one all star team, maybe two um, really uses that athleticism to become a pest, a menace defensively and can can be respectable at times from downtown like I, I just don't ever think he's going to be um that that knockdown shooter that a lot of teams are, are looking for in the league but uh we, we spoke about half hour on Kendall Brown let's pivot and talk about his teammate uh Jeremy Sohan uh small forward power forward 6'9 230 pounds um 18 right now will be 19 by the time the draft takes place uh, from Poland, uh, hometown is in the UK, four-star player by rivals, uh, played for the Polish men's national team at Eurobasket 22 qualifications. Um, I think he played in Germany last year as, as well. Um, he was the big 12 sixth man of the year this year. Uh, his season averages, um, he comes off of the bench. So he only gets 24.8 minutes per game averages 8.8 points on 47.9% from the field, 57.5 from the foul line, 29.2 from three, uh, pulls down 6.2 boards, uh, 0.7 blocks, 1.7 assists, 1.3 steals, and it does that at a player efficiency rating of 19.4. This is a prospect that I think is slowly starting to pass Kendall Brown in a lot of the, the mock drafts and in big board rankings. Um, why is that Sage? I think he's an incredibly smart defensive wing that if I, I it, it's hard to really believe in the shooting, but if you believe in the shooting that the, the, it the unlocks it, everything. Yeah. I, it, it's tough because like, I believe in the defense and the intelligence. Like when he plays, there is that intelligence that he, he he isn't the most athletic dude in the world, but he knows how to rotate to be in the right position and uses verticality to make them shoot over high hands. And I mean, that, that athleticism is very, it, it's pretty low. So being smart makes it so that he, being smart is the reason that he's a good defender. Um, the one thing I will say is I watched that Oregon game and there was a time where an Oregon player attacked him on a closeout and he drove. And then as the Oregon defense was sucked up, he passed it out to a Baylor shooter. So I, I, I believe in the decision-making as well. Like he, he, here's the thing about uh, the Blazers. We really haven't had a power forward in Dame's era to be a good decision maker. Like Al Farouk really wasn't that. I mean, the guys of Zach Collins really wasn't that. LaMarcus was, but you know, like that was early Dame. Like we haven't had a power forward decision maker in a really long time. Um, but I, I believe in the passing. I believe in that. But in my mind, 
It's interesting because I went back and I watched some of his high school tape and he finishes at the rim much more fluidly. So I don't know if he's just holding it back, but he definitely looked more athletic just a, a year ago. He has added 10 pounds uh, of muscle. And one other thing that I noticed was how um, it's like he had more confidence, especially in the offensive game. Like he was pulling up for threes that, you know, the same form on the jump shots, kind of more of a, of a slingshot standstill jumper, but he was shooting them more with ease, like more, much more confident. So I think, I think he also has shot has a really bad shot has hesitancy. I think he needs to go to a, a team that a Terry Stotts would have been a fantastic coach for him. Let him go out there, make your mistakes. You have the green light, shoot the ball. Like we need you to keep a defense honest. Like you need a coach that is going to believe in him and say, you can make this shot. You're not going to be featured prominently on the offensive end of the floor, but you know, just, just work, work and work and work. And you can become an Alfred Camino type of shooter league average, get hot some nights. So I think like Brown, uh, the team fit is incredibly the coach fit more important. The coach fit is so important for Jeremy Sohan. But when you look at him, it's hard not to envision just an all world menace type of defender uh, he was measured with a seven foot wingspan, which is, is incredible. I think that one thing that gives him the nod over Kendall Brown is his great positional versatility. I think you could see him at the three through the small ball five at the next level. He was able to, to put on those 10 pounds. I think there's room for a little bit more and him to still keep his, his lateral lateral ability, um, which I think he moves really well laterally um, plays the passing lanes. Well, I think he is the ideal defensive player uh, in, in the modern NBA. Like he should be able to handle some perimeter switches in the pick and roll. There was a couple of times when he was getting beat. He needs to get a little bit lower in his stance. But the best thing is his off ball defense. I think the free safety potential, we, we were talking about Kendall Brown and him having tunnel vision. Sohan's head is on a swivel. Like I think he has that free safety potential that you look for in the, the NBA for your, your off ball defender, just to, to make plays in the passing lane, to cover up mistakes. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, it's tantalizing. And I think that's why you see a lot of teams like have him rising on their draft board. You could see him sneak into the top 10 because uh, just look at what Evan Mobley is doing um, for Cleveland. And I'm not saying he's Evan Mobley, but I'm saying those defenders that can go inside and out really can throw a wrench into that. The pick and roll is the NBA bread and butter. If you throw a wrench into that, a lot of NBA teams do not have a counter. So just, I mean, you see what Bam Adebayo does for the Miami Heat. You have Draymond Green, Ben Simmons. Those disruptors on defense are, I would say, as important or maybe more than a lights-out scorer like Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. Like those, those players, I feel like, are more frequent than the disruptors on defense. So if you can get yourself one of those and you're willing to take a chance, it could pay incredible dividends uh, down the road. I feel like he's you Simon Jerry's like wet dream. Like a, a guy that's lengthy, that has, you know, defensive IQ, that is versatile. He can switch. Of course, like the, the, the shooting is going to be the swing factor, but like, what so uh, what Jeremy is is kind of like the Toronto Raptors ideal draft pick when you really think about it. Like he's right. he's a lesser version of Scotty Barnes, or and you know, even, 
even OG, OG coming out of Indiana, he had, he had the a knee injury, but like shooting was the big question mark. Mm-hmm. He, he found his shot. And now he is one of the most, uh, I think revered players in the league and sought after types of defenders because they're so, so rare. Like they, gambled that, that's my on, 99th percentile BT. Yeah, th- by the they way. gambled on his shooting and it paid off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I you know, it, like with Kendall, there was things that I like could write about, like strengths or weaknesses. With with Jeremy, it was just like, all right, this is what he is as a solid prospect, and like there isn't that much that I can critique. He just does things right and has a lot of abilities, and then you know some some red flags about the shooting, and then uh, like the top tier athleticism. But he's really like. A, a safe, smart player. And what's interesting about the top tier athleticism is I was naming off players like Draymond and Ben Simmons. Neither of those players, I would say athleticism is a strength. So no, definitely can, not for definitely not for Dre. So you can still be a really good defender at this league without being just like a, an incredible athlete in, in one area that I think translates well. And you could see him play uh, in the post four or five is he's a solid rebounder given his output comes off the bench. I think he pulls down. What did I say? Six over six boards a game. You translate that to a per 36. So every 36 minutes, he's at nine boards a game. Like you get nine boards from your forward. That's, that's really damn good um, in, in the NBA. So that's, I think another uh, area that if you're a draft evaluator, you can say, okay, that, that translates. We can, we can see the vision in drafting this player and where you can play him um, along your front line. Damn. I was looking at the ringer that you sent me and he's the ninth player on the, the, uh, the board for the ringer. I don't know if he's that high on my personal board, but I think he's a very uh, safe prospect in terms of like, he can fit any type of uh, build, like whether it be a rebuild, like what the Portland Trailblazers might be on with, you know, the question marks of Dame and Ant. Like he would be someone that you can just stash there. He'll fit with the scheme or you put him on a team that's trying to compete. He'll fill that role and play good defense and let those star players on your team be the star players. And he'll do the, uh, the dirty work for you. What's your floor for, for Jeremy Sohan? I think this might just be athletically. He reminds me of Kyle Singler. Like they both do the dirty work. They aren't the most athletic. Kyle Singler had a much better shot, but I I just think the way that they move, it's very similar to me. I have Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Uh, Rondé was the bit, the Pac-12 defensive player of the year coming out of Arizona. Portland drafted him, traded him on draft night for Mason Plumley and Pat Connaughton. But the defense was never the question. It was, can he shoot? He never was able to get that shot. And now he is out of the league. He was a, you know, slowly started out as a three. And then the lack of shooting moved him to the four. And then he was playing five for the Blazers uh, last year. So if, if Sohan is not able to become... Uh, even a respected shooter, I he would have to be Ben Simmons level defensively to to play, and mm-hmm. I think that's a lot to ask of a prospect. Because I think Ben Simmons is arguably one of the best perimeter defenders uh, that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, ever. Yeah. So I think Rondé is a a solid floor where 
you know, you take a gamble on a player for their one-way potential and and just hope that they become average at best um, shooting the basketball. What's your uh, most likely outcome? Maybe I've just watched way too much Denver Nuggets basketball recently, but I also think that he could be an Aaron Gordon-like player with uh, the defensive versatility and uh, definitely not the athleticism, but the, the the a way that he can affect a team defensively and blowing up plays. Aaron Gordon could do that as well. They both have the they're both potential shooters, not not actual shooters. So maybe maybe that's just the the go to comp for a guy that's good defensively and maybe in theory could shoot. If he becomes an average league shooter or slightly below average league shooter, I think the the most likely outcome comparison for me is, is an Alfaru Camino. Uh, a okay, position, I, I get that. Yeah, a guy who can defend the three and the four. You can slot him along the lines, um, can get hot from three, can shoot you out of games as well. Um, playmaking comes and goes. It's kind of a player where you're like holding your breath when they're in the open court. Like, I don't know what he's going to do with it. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's disastrous. Uh, but a player who is invaluable can play for 10 years in the league and be, you know, a fifth starter or coming off your bench. Like those types of players are necessary. You look at Portland in their, their Western conference finals run. They don't do that without players like without Chief. And, and Aminu um, doing the dirty work, playing the defense and letting others shine around them. Uh, I, th- I think that uh, Jeremy has that playmate, the playmaking chops that Al Farouk never could. What's your ninety nine? I'm 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 trying to cheat and say like I'm looking at the athletic article. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't believe that he's Draymond. I don't believe that he's Ben Simmons. I, I a better Aaron Gordon. Like I I don't know. Like I'm not I'm not ready to give J- Jeremy Draymond Green comps because I feel like. Draymond Green is one of the most specialized players ever, and we need to give him a, uh, you know, like he's one of the smartest guys ever. I, I don't want to give him comps to to players that I don't believe are at his level. So honestly, I, I would say it's just like a more a, a better Aaron Gordon, I guess. Like I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have the balls to give him the Ben Simmons or the Draymond Green comp. So just a better. Uh, uh, more efficient Aaron Gordon, an optimized Aaron Gordon. I, I, I don't, I don't want to give him that super elite comp. If he becomes a league average shooter and he unlocks his playmaking, like truly unlocks his playmaking, he's going to be the closest thing we've seen to Andre Kirilenko. I am much, uh, dude. I thought you were gonna say Draymond Green, bro, and I, I was like, no, I, I don't believe that. I, I think AK forty seven would be, that's 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 a great ninety ninth percentile. I mean, you're talking about. Do you about, see that chance happening though? I don't know. What like we did it with Kendall? Like, what is the percentage chance that it's the, the the low, mean, middle, and a uh, uh, high end? What what would you give the percentages? It's probably sixty five percent that he's a uh, Alfred Camino. I think there's probably. 25% that he's Rundy Hollis Jefferson. I think there's a 10% chance that you could get an Andre Kirilenko type of player, uh, a guy who's going to that fill 10% is pretty high to be completely real. 
Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the tools. Um, Kirilenko was a player who was five by, he was the original five by five guy. I mean, you're looking, I mean, a Blazer fans, you know, talk about Batum's five by five games. Kirilenko was doing that as, as regular as regular cool. could be. Yeah. Just filling up the stat sheets. I mean, he was really guarding one through fives. Now, if Sohan is able to unlock that type of versatility. Kirilenko was also initiating offense. He was pushing the ball up the floor. It's really where I see just the the off ball defense, the the block shots, the the free safety, uh, playing the passing lanes. Just one of the smartest defenders I've I've seen. Just the ultimate disruptor. Really, I think Kirilenko in today's NBA would be maybe the most like you have Giannis, but then like how can I get my hands on Andre Kirilenko? Like I don't. I so does he, he did... have to unlock some athletic gifts? Like how much athletic? boost from his his game does he need to see to see that top end outcome i don't know if it's necessarily athleticism i i I think it's more one the shooting like he just has to be respectable i think it's just the handle the handle and the decision making like he's got a high basketball intelligence is he going to be able to have a hand it's hard for six nine guys to dribble the basketball You, you bring it up high you can get it picked can he tighten up the handle like that? That is a huge thing and create for others. Like, I think that's going to be much harder to do than become a league average shooter. So can can he do that? That's 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 the big question mark for, for me. And I think that's so, really hard to do. I don't know if you realized it, but I use that comp Alfaruk Aminu for Keegan Murray. How much different of a prospect is Jeremy to uh, Keegan? I think they're night and day. Really? I think one, you have to look at the draft age. I think there's a three year age gap. I think Keegan Murray's an NBA ready shooter. I think right now, like you could put put him in there and he could be a three and D player. Like you can stand him in at the very least, you can stand him in the corner and he's going to give you buckets. Mm -hmm. I think he's got a better shot making uh, ability. Although I will say when I've watched uh, Sohan, he he does this this turnaround fadeaway and he shoots that. I feel like there. he has a surprisingly high amount of self creation. Like if you watch he a full Baylor game, there's two plays where it's three. like holy shit. So it's just like how, how do you un, un, unlock that? Like I, I don't think Keegan is as athletic. Um, he has flashes where he can he can you know you know jam at home, but I, I don't think he's as nimble on his feet as Sohan. I think uh, Sohan's got a little bit more length on him. Um, I, I just, I think Murray's more polished, but of course you would expect that, um, Murray's more polished, but I think the ceiling is still higher. Like I, you can see it in Sohan where that ceiling is through the roof where I think Murray is like, okay, very safe prospect, very high floor. So that's where I think they're, they're pretty different. So is, is Murray your, uh, fourth power forward after the big three of Paulo? Not in any order. I'm just uh, what I'm thinking. Paulo, Jabari, and Chet. Yeah, probably. I think okay. that's where it kind of drops off. And you got Murray, then you've got Sohan, and then I couldn't really tell you who else is. Eason, but that, that, that's fine. Is he small forward or power forward? I, I put him as the four. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Eason and Sohan are uh, comparable. I think they're more comparable as prospects than Sohan and Keegan Murray. I feel like Tari is the fourth power forward. But like, it, like we're gonna do mock drafts, and like if we do like you pick, I pick, you pick, I pick, 
Eason's going to go higher than uh, Keegan Murray and uh, Jeremy Sohye. I, I believe in I believe in Tari much more than the other the 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 other guys that we just discussed. But um, do you have anything else about these uh, Baylor Bear uh, prospects? No, do you I think, think they I, go far in the tournament as well? I have Baylor losing to St. Mary's in the Sweet wow. Sixteen. I have them winning it all. You have Baylor winning? Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do not. Going back to back is so difficult. Even the oh, best. I, fuck yeah, it is winning. Yo, bro. When's the last time any one of our teams won anything in their uh, their sports? Winning's fucking hard. So I, I don't know. Like I I I kind of you know it, it, I I don't see them losing to St. Mary's. I I, I think they're a, I I I think they're one of those the elite teams. All right, let's wrap this bad boy up. All right, man. We are available everywhere you find your podcasts and. Uh, You know, the tournament starts tomorrow, so peace.